Hello. We are going to be exploring the greatest story ever told together. And you know that a good story needs four things, we, we're told. It needs a compelling character. It needs a ambition that drives that character forward. It needs a conflict. It needs a, a messy middle. A, you know, and then finally, it needs a good resolution. Those are the four ingredients to a good story. And I hope you paid attention because we're going we're gonna to look at them all again at the end. But for now, what we want to do is we want to explore what it means to be a capital C citizen of heaven. And to understand that, we've got to understand the greatest story ever told. We've got to understand the, the story of origins, how it all began, and the, the stories of destiny, how it's all going to wrap up. We've got to understand the story of God, His story. But you know that many of us are distracted from that story because we're looking for the good life in the here and now. And there are three good life stories that we could all believe. And I want to quickly introduce those before we look at the, the big story of God. So the first story which we find has been very popular is the Disney story. Ryan spoke about it last week, so I won't be long on this. But this is a story where you are at the center of the plot. You're never the ugly stepsister. You're always Cinderella. And you need to find that spark inside of you that releases a little bit of magic. And you find resolution happily ever after in your life. Now, wouldn't that be incredible? If you believe the Disney story right now, in all the confusion of COVID, you are looking for that spark. You're trying to find the magic. That can sometimes be hard to come by, right? The second story might include God. You might say, you know, I don't believe in Disney. I believe in God and he's created this world and he basically wants me to be a good person. That's why I've called the story the, the moral story. And I need to make sure that I do more good things than bad things. And then God will help me. When times get tough, God will come through. And it's good moral people one day that'll spend eternity with God. If that's a story you living by at the moment. You might've recognized your selfishness and COVID's been good for you in the sense that you've gone, you know, I need to serve a bit more. But where it goes wrong is it then translates into, well, now God's hopefully going to tilt the playing fields in my direction because I've been such a good moral person, right? But that maybe hasn't happened and you get a little bit disappointed with God. The third story, which is popular, is what I've called the freedom story. It's a story which Mark says in particular, Australian, so you know it must be good because I'm quoting an Australian, right? He, he's really helped me understand this. It's a story that says that ultimately giving expression to who you are and your identity is the most important thing. And anything like a tradition or regulation that comes on you and restricts you needs to be dismantled. It needs to be taken away. The ultimate social ethic we should have is that we should tolerate each other and that we should do no harm. Uh, this is a view that says people are inherently good, but it's structures and institutions that are bad. And if this is your story right now, you're feeling the restrictions getting placed on you, but you're determined to, to live your best life. You're determined to, to make it happen despite the chaos going on. Are these three stories are popular. And of course, there are many other stories. We probably all believe bits and pieces of a few of them. But here's the thing they all have in common right here, right now, is they're not able to withstand the full force that COVID has unleashed on this world. See, with you at the center, it's falling apart. You might be trying hard to do good moral deeds, but it just feels like God's not coming through for you. And freedom is like the last thing you're feeling at the moment. The good news is that there is a story that can withstand challenge. Last week, we got glimpses of it as Paul in jail is writing about a citizenship in heaven as he presses forward and 
introduces a joy that is not based on circumstances. And we're going to do the same today. So, see, what can we often be longing for is that our stories can be restored, but we we need more than just to be restored. We need to be restoried. We need to be reminded of our capital C citizenship in heaven, citizens of heaven on earth. And so it's that that we're going to give our attention to now as we look at the big story of who God is, his presence with his, with his people as he forms his people. Let's get stuck in together. The Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's how it all began, a timeless, eternal God. What's this God like? This God's powerful. This God is good. This God is obviously a creator that puts on display incredible creativity. And this God has, out of delight and out of joy, overflowed in creation, in making man and woman, Adam and Eve. Not because this God was lonely, but because the goodness that was in God has led to those made in his image. And this God walked with them in the cool of the day and had a story for them to live into, a story that spoke of a cultural mandate to possess the land, to take the raw materials of life, to weave them together and to create human flourishing, to have dominion over all living things. But this story of God was undermined. It was undermined quite easily by the enemy of God. It was undermined by mistrust in the motives of God, a sort of cynicism that came in and said, did God really mean that? Does God really have your best in mind? And that cynicism is still alive today. I thought of it when I saw this meme. Uh, It just resonated with me, thinking of Adam and Eve. The meme is, I know the difference of right from wrong. Uh, The wrong is the fun one. I mean, isn't that just how (laughs) we all kind of split the world up ourselves? That's how Adam and Eve would have thought of it as well. But unfortunately, the path they chose, the story they decided to write, might have initially fizzled and popped, but over time fell apart. You see, selfishness doesn't lead to joy. And very quickly we see their separation from God results in their exile from God, results in sin entering the world as our rebellion overflows in murder and hatred and bitterness. And very quickly we find the people who are exiled, gathering in Babel, building a tower, not speaking of the story of God, but speaking of a story they themselves were writing to make a great name for themselves. And as they scattered across the world, we are left wondering, what happens to these exiles? A good God has created a good world, but rebels have made it about themselves and their own stories. How will they be reconciled? And it's at this point that God picks one man, Abraham, and moves in on him and says to him, I'm, I'm still going to bless the world. I've still got plans for this world, but I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And the story of Abraham is contained in Genesis, but it also is contained in the book of Hebrews. One chapter in particular, chapter 11. And this chapter is called the, the hall of faith. Uh, basically what the writer is doing is he's doing a little bit of what I'm trying to do here. He's restoring the people of God. The, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, remember all the people that have come before and how they lived in light of the story of God as citizens of heaven on earth. And he gives them a whole chapter where he speaks about how they by faith lived their lives. 
by faith meaning that they trusted God. They allowed their capital C citizenship of heaven to shape their, their smaller case C citizenship of an earth. And he uses the example of Abraham. And we're going to pick up the story here in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Remember, God is going to bless Abraham to be a blessing to the world. And this is what God says. He says in verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went not knowing where he was going. You see that it's by faith that Abraham responds. It's by trusting in God that he steps out and obeys. And you'll notice that there are many stories that Abraham could have been hearing at that time, but the loudest is God's voice because we hear that he was called out. So he took the time to hear God's voice and to respond to it. And you'll notice that although he's promised an inheritance of many descendants as well as a promised land, he isn't given the exact details. Isn't that like a little bit infuriating? Doesn't that kind of resonate with us right now as we live in all this uncertainty? We're given this phrase that he was not knowing where he was going. And I like not knowing. That seems to be a characteristic of a a God who's all-knowing and a people who, although made in his image, will never have the perfect knowledge that he has. It's hard, but what Abraham demonstrates here is a posture of pressing in, as Ryan discussed last week. A posture that says, even in amongst this uncertainty, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to obey God, and by faith, I'm going to believe in my capital C citizenship in heaven. And we read on in verse 9, we told that by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his sons, is with him of the same promise. Abraham is now on the move. He's in a foreign land, a a territory he would not be familiar with. He's living in tents, again demonstrating that he wasn't called to be a settler, he was called to be a pilgrim, that the presence of God was enough for him as he moved around living amongst different people in different places. And you'll note already that Abraham as a person is now starting to become a family, that his Families caught up in this adventure, that there's an inheritance for his sons that might not be a fixed building anymore, but it's something so much more. It's a promise of God, the promise of God's presence with them as a family, that they can be heirs with him. Something that would have been Abraham's message to his sons, saying, yeah, we're not where we used to be kids and it's not what we would have imagined. But can I tell you about the inheritance that you have as a capital C citizen of heaven, even though on earth it might not look as permanently full of prosperity as we might have imagined. It doesn't end there. We get a little glimpse into Abraham's motives or motivations now. In verse 10, it says, For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What was Abraham seeing in the future? He had a posture of pressing on and obeying God, but he now clearly shows that he had more than that. He had a perspective, a heavenly perspective. He knew about his capital C citizenship and he had an idea of what the city was going to be like. It was going to be a city that had solid foundations, foundations built on a rock. And notice who designed the city. Notice who built the city. It's God. What an incredible vision in times of uncertainty right now where things are getting shaken, that the people of God is represented by Abraham can be those that go
go out into the world with capital C citizenship of heaven, a, a vision of what the future involves, a hope that is certain, that has foundations, a hope that is designed and built by God. We pick up the story again with Abram and pretty quickly, his sons have had sons. And one of them, Joseph, is quite a confident young chap, let's say that. And he tells all his other brothers, I'm, I'm going to one day have you bind down to me. Well, they don't like that very much. And they sell him into slavery. And he suddenly finds himself in Egypt. And he pretty quickly has the script for his life t- turned upside down or torn up. He finds himself uh, falsely accused. He finds himself in jail. He has the supernatural ability to interpret dreams, but the person who he helped forgets about him for many, many years. And eventually, through all of this, he is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He rises to prominence. And because of his life, famine and disaster is averted. And his brothers, many years later, come back, not recognizing him, and receive food and are able to then move into Egypt and be saved because of him. The promise of God coming true through the most unlikely person, Joseph. And when the brothers see who it is, what Joseph says pretty quickly, I know you're obviously probably quite worried right now, but I want you to know what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But Joseph has a perspective that as his life went worse and worse and worse, the truth is that God was taking the evil done to him and turning it for good. And isn't that just something of a story that we can all relate to in our own lives? Our own evil choices, our own going our own way of wanting to write our own stories, things done to us, things done by us. Incredible story of God's presence with his people is that he takes those things and can still turn them for good. The people of God started as Abram, then became a family and now become a nation. The the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, but they are in captivity in Egypt. They become numerous, but the Pharaoh doesn't want them to prosper. And so they're oppressed and God needs to liberate them. And he sends Moses who does just that. Moses leads them through the Red Sea, through these parted waters. He leads them into the wilderness where they're led by God, by a cloud by day and a fire by night. In this wilderness, they are fed uh, manna, have bread from heaven and they have living waters in, in a desert place. And Moses himself goes up a mountain and God writes 10 commandments to shape the people and laws, perfect laws that help to create a people set apart, blessed to to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And this group of people eventually are led by Joshua into a promised land. He, He clears the land and that land is set apart to once again give expression to what Adam had originally been mandated to do and Adam and Eve were called to to dominion and likewise the people of God could not enter the promised land and and live that out. But sadly, once again, that cycle repeats itself of our imperfection and God's faithfulness because the people rebel. Judges come and judges go. Kings come and kings go. But eventually, The people of God lose their way and are taken into exile into Babylon. And we can read stories of someone like Daniel who finds himself in a foreign land, just like Joseph did, serving a foreign king and wondering how it is that the people of God could find themselves where they are. How will this exile experience end? How does the story of God end? How does this promise of God, this presence of God deal with the people who 
constantly turn in on themselves and write their own stories? Well, it finds resolution in Jesus Christ coming to this earth. You see, the presence of God now became the person of God. And Jesus steps into this world. John 1 speaks about God coming to tabernacle with his people. What had just been once contained in the Ark of the Covenant when a temple now finds itself in an actual person. As he presences himself with his people, the word became flesh. And you see, Jesus actually reenacts the whole story that I've just told you about. He reenacts it. Why? When he was young, where was he? He was in Egypt. He was hiding from Herod, who was persecuting young children at the time. And he comes out of Egypt, just like the people of God came out of Egypt. They pass through the Red Sea. Jesus passes through the waters of baptism. And just as they went into the wilderness, Jesus then goes into the wilderness where he is later tempted by Satan, but not overcome. He doesn't write his own story. He remains loyal to his father and lives out the story of redemption. And just as Moses went up on a mountain, Jesus goes up on a mountain and is transfigured in glory. And just as Joshua cleared the land, Jesus comes and clears the temple to say this place should be holy and set apart for the Lord. And just as the people have wandered in exile, and maybe that's your experience right now, wandering in exile. So Jesus received ultimate exile when he went to the cross. He was separated from the love of the Father. Why would he do such a thing? He did it because he was making the unrighteous, you and I, righteous. He was making dead people alive. He was experiencing ultimate exile so that you and I are invited in to experience ultimate homecoming. And of course, Jesus didn't stay in exile. He came roaring back from the dead in resurrection glory. And he proclaimed new life. He proclaimed capital C citizenship of heaven available to all people in all nations at all time. And he called those apprentices of him closer together. And he spoke of this new life and he gave them the great commission to go and make disciples. Well, go, go and tell people about the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. And he said to them, you, you're not, going to be able to sustain it unless I empower you with my spirit. You see, throughout history, the presence of God has been forming a people of God. And it's not any different now, Jesus is saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit, my presence in you to shape you as a people. And whilst the people of God had gathered to build Babel to make a great name for themselves, now they gather in a room waiting for the presence of God, waiting for the Holy Spirit, waiting for the Spirit to empower them and fill them and form them as a people. And they're not disappointed because the Spirit of God floods in on the day of Pentecost and sends them out into the nation as the nature, nations as the church explodes across the world. So every tribe, tongue and nation receives the love of God. You see, the Disney story makes it all about you. That's a, that's a trap. It's all about Jesus. The moral story tells you, no, there's a way of gaining favor with God by performing your way into his presence. No, it's a trap. It's all about what Jesus has done. A freedom story says, hey, you need to define who you are. You need to achieve an identity that matches with who you are. But again, Jesus offers something different. He says, it's not about an identity achieved. It's about an identity received. You're my son, you're my daughter. You're a co-heir with me. Allow my presence to renovate you from the inside out to become who you were always designed to be. And of course, 
the people of God then lived out this great commission to love people, this great command to love God. And they did it with the same vision Abraham had, that vision of a city with song foundations whose architect and builder was God. They, they knew how it all wrapped up. They knew that Jesus had come first as a humble servant, but he was going to come again as a conquering king. And they lived with that understanding, which allowed them to face all kinds of persecution, all kinds of injustice. They, were, they, they had a vision of how it was all going to end. That one day God would dwell among them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. Their capital C citizenship informed their dual citizenship here in this world. So that's the story. I mean, it's the greatest story ever told. But what are we to do with it? How, how do we respond? I put it to you that we need to be reminded of what Ryan chatted about yesterday, uh, last Sunday. We need to be reminded that this capital C citizenship is something that we can grow in understanding that we can be restoried by. And so I want to quickly remind you of some of those things which we need to hold on to from last week. See, if we understand our capital C citizenship, we're going to be reminded that the kingdom has a king. See, we long for peace, joy, and happiness, but often we don't long for the one who has secured that for us, King Jesus. It's not possible to have the kingdom without the king. We need to be reminded that the kingdom has a king and that this king has a will and a law. Jesus alone provides the resources we need for this life. He is the one who longs for justice to come and has provided a way for us to live in greater harmony with each other. Thirdly, this kingdom has a people. This is a people that hasn't achieved their status, but a, a people that have received a status from God as co-heirs, as sons and daughters, as the people of God. And then let's be reminded, be restored by the truth that this kingdom is already and not yet. That's why we pray the prayer uh, in Cape Town as it is in heaven and understanding that we want our capital C citizenship to break into this world and for that overlap of the ages to grow as we give greater expression to the love of God, to the city we live in. We long not just to be restored by what I'm reading here, but to reenact that story in the lives of those we meet. And then finally, the kingdom has a realm. Well, what's this realm? It's, it's the place where God's given authority, where God is obeyed, where we go without knowing, where we, where we serve him. That's the realm that God is busy advancing as we're speaking together today. Will you join me in endeavoring to remember this story and to remember these truths of the kingdom. It's what Jesus spoke about more than anything else. And in many ways, you can imagine God saying, you will be my people. And that's the invitation to us today. You will be my people. You will receive homecoming. And our response together can be this. We can say, wherever we find ourselves right now, in the bedroom, in the lounge, we can say, God, you will be my God. God says, you will be my people. And we say, you will be my God. Perhaps you want to do that for the first time today, accepting the, the story of God's unmerited favor, his grace and his mercy. And then this incredible invitation to see his kingdom advance. But you see, we don't just be reminded of our capital C citizenship, our, 
of fact, we're citizens of heaven. We also then need to be reminded we're citizens on earth. And the things for us to give glorious expression to here on earth. In many ways, as citizens of earth, we can reenact this story. We can be informed, receive the love of God, and then flow out in love for others. There's an amazing command to love God, to love people, and to, to commit ourselves to become a kind of person that would love the world. I'm often challenged during lockdown by the fact that I'm not able to go out very far and to be with people that I used to spend a lot of time with. The, the truth is I'm spending a lot more time with those closest to me. And if you ever notice sometimes in life, you go through phases where those who are the furthest away from you think you're the nicest person ever, but then those, as you get closer to you, that kind of opinion starts to go down a little bit because they, they see the worst side of you. They're the ones that have to deal with your selfishness, right? Well, isn't that, shouldn't that be the opposite, right? Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't those closest to us be the ones that are receiving the most love, who are, are seeing this great story of God's love splashing their own lives? So if you ask me, so what, what, what how, sh- how should this make a difference? I would say maybe it needs to make a difference in those closest to us as we reenact the story of God, as we forgive people, as we love one another. And for many um, weeks now to come, we're actually going to be answering this question of reenacting the great story of God, what it means to be a capital C citizen here on earth. So I'm looking so forward to learning from Rigby next week around what does it look like to be a citizen living in a polarized world where it seems to be my way or the highway. You can't disagree with me and love me. There's, there's a lack of common ground, you know, to put it, to put it in a way that is self-serving because, because we're living in such a polarized world. So in many ways, the, the future is all about how we live out the story of our capital C citizenship in heaven. But perhaps you sitting there going, Paul, uh, you're feeling good, you're feeling positive, you're looking all energetic, but this is hard, this is challenging. And you'd want to point out to me that, that this is a lot easier said than done. And I'd, I'd agree with you. It is tough, it is challenging. And I'd, I'd say to you that often when the pressure comes on, when the challenge comes on, when we are feeling the pressure as we are right now, our capital C citizenship, this big story of God is often the first to go rather than our go-to. Let me say that again. It's often the first to go rather than our go-to. We deal with the here and now so much more easily than with a God who's calling us, who can kind of be pushed to the sidelines at times. It's a story we can forget about because we're so caught up in the stories right here, right now. And I'd say that it's challenging sometimes because we believe the wrong stories, the Disney story, the moral story, the freedom story, and many others. And so we're busy trying to see those stories resolved when we really need to be reminded of God's story, invitation of grace and mercy. And you see, if we believe in the wrong story, of course it's going to be challenging because then we're going to be doing the wrong things. We're going to be trying to make... uh, Lemonade out of lemons. We're going to try and improve our moral performance and hope that wins God's favor. We're going to try and throw off every restriction and, and, and get fatigued because we're trying to, trying to achieve everything. And come on, what am I doing with my life? I'm, I'm like almost 25 and I haven't done it all yet. You know, these, these wrong stories are going to lead to wrong behaviors. And that's going to be incredibly challenged. We don't need those things restored. We need to be restoried. It's worth the effort. And you know, that there's a, a lie out there that you might believe. It it's, goes like this. It says, you 
learn from experience. Do you believe that? Do you believe you learn from experience? I, I want you to tell you it's a lie because you actually don't learn from experience. You learn by reflecting on experience. You learn by pausing and saying, man, what's been happening to me during this lockdown period? What are all the stories of my life that are not making sense? Perhaps I've believed the wrong story. And so coming into land now, Paul, what's today been about? So what? Like, what's the difference this makes to my life? My invitation to you is to be restoried. Invite God right now. Say, come, Holy Spirit, come and restore me. Remind me that there's more to life than here and now, that there's a capital C citizenship, that I can be a citizen of heaven. And Ian and Laura are soon going to lead us in a response where we're going to join with millions of people around the world and through thousands of years as we speak of the Apostles' Creed together. And they're going to share a story about when they visited the home stadium of Barcelona, you know, Lionel Messi's hometown. We're going we're gonna to respond like that together a little now in a little while. But let's invite the Spirit now to restore us. And let's also invite the, story, the, the Spirit to empower us to reenact the story. Invite the Spirit to unleash a love and a creativity that gives expression to what God's placed inside of us that we can love those closest to us. We're going to end now by reading uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I, I mentioned that Hebrews chapter 11 has meant quite a lot to me in my life and I commend you to go and read it, speaking about by faith, all the examples in scripture, just restoring us around God's presence and God's people through time. And it closes, it, well, in chapter 12, it's chapter 12 verse one. I'd love to read that as we end our time here together. This is what the author says. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So in light of all that we've covered this morning, think about all those lives that I've kind of touched on. They're forming a cloud of witnesses. The story of God. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's together just throw off all the wrong stories we've believed about life. That it's all about us. When it's all about God. And let's keep reading. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. When do you need perseverance? You don't need perseverance at the start, right? That's not, you don't need perseverance. You need perseverance when it gets tough. It's tough for many of us right now. But there's a perseverance that God has placed inside of us by His Spirit. And you'll notice it speaks of a, a race marked out for us. I know some of the younger ones out there, you, you might be going, what? There's a race marked out for me? I want to make my own race. What's this going on? And you justifiably kind of a little bit perplexed right at the end here. But then I want to read on. I want to say, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Notice who marked out the race for you. Notice who marked out the race for you. It's the one who knows you the best. The one who showed his love by going to a cross for you. And it's the one who pours out his spirit to empower you to persevere on the race that he's given you. This is a good God who's overflowed in love for you and he has got something marked out for you that he's gonna give you the perseverance to pursue. And this Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That that call to live by faith, by faith, by faith is not something you generated. It's something that God pioneered in your heart and it's something that he will perfect one day. I told you, that we would come back to the recipe of a good story. Remember right at the beginning, I said, it's four things. You need an interesting person. It's not you, it's Jesus. He is the creator. He's the God with us. And that 
that person needs a mission. Well, what was his ambition? What was his mission? His ambition was to extend the love of God to rebels like you and me so that we could experience homecoming. And of course, he faced incredible conflict on that cross as we threw our worst at him, as we wrote all our own stories against him. But yet he rose in resurrection glory. And that's the resolution that we saw on this side of eternity. And one day he will come again as a conquering king to bring about his kingdom fully on this earth. It's the greatest story ever told. And maybe today for the first time you're going to respond to it or maybe for the first time in a long time you're going to respond to it. Let's do that together now as we pray. Holy Spirit, we invite your work amongst us. And so together, wherever we find ourselves now, we say these words, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. May your presence shape our lives now. Come and restore us. We don't want to just be restored to our factory settings, to kind of the defaults that we have believed for too long. We long now to be restored in who you are, God. And come, Holy Spirit, and empower us to reenact this great story. Help us to run the race marked out for us with perseverance. Help us to love you and to love people, to become the kind of person whose capital C citizenship frees them up to be the very best citizens of our city. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Continue to work in us as we respond as Ian and Laura lead us now. Amen.